Our scripture reading today is from Luke 2, verses 1 through 14. This is found on page 857 in your Pew Bible. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Margie. Well, good morning. Uh, Welcome again to the Brookside Campus of Christ Community. Uh, It's so good to see you this morning. My name is Taylor. Uh, Margie is rocking those nice, warm, fuzzy boots. I have no boots. I have no long sleeves. Uh, It's an act of resistance. And so, um, uh, would you pray with me? And uh, and, and we'll get into God's word. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. God, as we look at the snow around... uh, Would you cause it to remind us of your beauty? Help us to delight in who you are. God, I pray that this season of Christmas, that can be so chaotic at times, that you would help us instill in us this true, deep sense of joy. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Well, it is that time of year again, and uh, no, I'm not talking about Christmas because my mind can't even get that far ahead of me right now. Uh, I am talking about finals. Uh, Is anyone else working through the stress of finals week with school? Uh, Many of you know that I am nearing uh, the end of my master's degree, and last week, because of that, I had a 30-page paper, a 15-page paper, and a final exam all due on Friday. Sounds like awful, right? Uh, And I don't know about you, uh, but when I need to focus on important work like this, when I need to write, when I need to get in the zone, I have to listen to music. Like there's something about music that just helps me focus and and get in the zone. And as I've written quite a bit of stuff for school, uh, I've, I've come to find this album that has been like my soundtrack to writing music. Uh, it's the one I go to when I need to get in the zone. Uh, this album is an album called Dealer uh, by the band Foxing, uh, one of my favorite bands. And if you don't know, you can probably tell by this picture, uh, Foxing is a strange, indie, emo, alt-rock band that most of you would probably hate if you listen to it. Uh, but, but, but that Dealer, that album wrecked me. Like, I loved it so much. And as I was writing this week, and as I was listening to this album on repeat, trying to get these papers done, I I had this odd moment where I realized that that I hadn't sat and actually just listened to this album in a while. 
that, that it had been years since I had given myself the chance to sit and take it all in again, to, to appreciate the, the soaring vocals, the, the somber melodies, and everything that I loved about it in the first place. In many ways, the album had become familiar background music to my schoolwork. Now, if you're just joining us, uh, we've been in a series where we're looking at the first songs of Christmas, that, that actually if we look at, at Luke chapters 1 and 2, surrounding the birth of Jesus, there are a number of people uh, who burst into song, either in expectation or in response to uh, the birth of, of Jesus. And the story that Margie read for us this morning in Luke 2 is one that I think for many of us has become familiar background music to Christmas. Every year we hear it in sermons, in Christmas readings. Our popular Christmas music has phrases from it in there. Uh, even Charlie Brown, right? We have the scene of, of Linus with his blanket reading uh, this passage from Luke 2. And the story builds up to this choir of angels bursting out into praise and singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. But at the risk of, of, of being overdramatic, I think there actually is a real danger in the familiarity of this simple song. And the danger is this, that we water down the promises of God to good sentiment rather than lived reality. We water down the promises of God to good sentiment, to Christmas nostalgia rather than something that actually happens in our life. Here's what I mean. As I was writing papers and, and finals last week, I was also marching through a schedule that was packed with Christmas parties, with work, with travel plans, with Christmas shopping, with a marriage that I kind of want to keep intact, uh, wrestling through my unfilled desires, preparing for this sermon. And, and all the while, the song of the angels kept running through my head. Peace on earth. Really? The irony wasn't lost on me that, that I was preparing to preach on peace. All the while, internally, I felt anxious and frustrated and exhausted and overwhelmed and hurried and broken. Is anyone else ready to call the angels liars? But seriously, do you feel peace this morning? Like in your life, do you feel peace at work and at school is your home characterized by peace? Your relationships? What about your heart? Has the promise of peace merely become Christmas nostalgia, invoking warm feelings once a year? Maybe some of you are with me asking this question. How do we find peace in an anxious world? How do we find peace in an anxious world? So here, here's what I want us to do this morning. Is I want us to sit and hear afresh this familiar album of Jesus' birth. I, I want us to soak in, like actually sit and soak in the significance of what is happening in this story. And I truly believe that if we do this right, we're going to see that the celebration of the angels reveals three insights about peace that actually make it possible in our anxious world. We there? Got it? All right, let's, let's return to the story and get a better grip on what is causing the angels to rejoice so ecstatically. If you have your Bibles open, uh, read with me Luke 2, starting in verse 8. 
And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. All right, pause for a second. Because already we've hit something that our familiarity with the story can, can rob us of some of the meaning. Because uh, we are just used to shepherds being a part of the story. Like, of course there are shepherds. Why wouldn't there be shepherds? There are obviously shepherds. But think about it. The first people God announces the most massive significant moment in human history to is shepherds. Not kings. Not Caesar. Not priests, not even Pharisees who were like the evangelical pastors of their day, but shepherds. In the ancient world, there was hardly a Monday life that was more common and ordinary than being a shepherd. And, and not only that, but, but God's powerful presence, his glory, manifests itself here not in the temple, but, but in a field. Now, now, I'm from central Kansas. I've seen uh, a field or two in my day, not to brag. Um, but could, could a, a location be any more random than a field for God to choose to make his glory known? Here's what's going on here. From the very beginning, God chooses to make himself known in a powerful way to the common, to the ordinary, to the mundane, to the normal, to the powerless. And he still works this way today. You aren't too normal or too powerless for God to break into your life. Good? So, so let's get back to the story. It's, it's incredibly dark. It's night. The, these common shepherds were just going about their normal Monday life, just like you and me. And suddenly, out of nowhere, this radiant light breaks through the darkness. As, as Zechariah promised in his song last week, uh, the, the sunrise of salvation has dawned. And the shepherds react as all of us would if an angel appeared in a glorious light on the first floor of Cerner. <laughs> they freak out. They fear what Luke calls a great fear. Pick it up in verse 10. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. So the, the angel sees their fear and he invites the shepherds to trade their great fear for, for great joy. Why? Be because what the angel is announcing, he says, is good news. And this good news should cause great joy for all people. That means you, shepherds. That means you, Christ community. And we'll get to the content of that good news here in a minute. But, but notice the remarkable nature of what happens next. We're so used to it. But at this first announcement of that the shepherds make, that the sunrise of salvation is here, this new age of salvation, what happens? Heaven responds. Heaven responds. Out of nowhere, the one angel is joined literally by what is called an army of angels. And what do they start doing? They praise God. They rejoice. They celebrate. They sing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's astounding, isn't it? That, that in what we might call, it might as well be a farm in Iowa, comes a powerful inbreaking of the presence of God. A supernatural choir singing and shouting for joy. 
Can you picture it? Why? Two responses we see here in this song. That there's praise in heaven and peace on earth. Peace on earth. There it is. That promise that feels so elusive. Peace on earth. Peace that has been etched into our minds as good Christmas sentiment, but woefully absent from much of our Monday lives. Yet it is this very peace that the angel says is the result of the birth in Jesus. So if we're going to find peace today, we need to see the kind of peace that the angels saw and have a more comprehensive view of what true peace is. And so the first thing that we need to see is that peace is restoration. Peace is restoration. And you're like, where did you get that? Well, to see this, we have to go back a little bit to the backdrop of the Old Testament and Israel's expectations of a Messiah. And to do that, we're going to read another uh, Christmas passage that's pretty familiar from Isaiah 9. And as we do that, I want you to, to, to notice, to see if you can see any similarities with our text in Luke. All right, so I'm, I'm going to read this, Isaiah 9, starting in verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You, God, have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you. Why? For, for to us, a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. What comes through here in Isaiah is what Israel waited so eagerly for. That God would send a Messiah, someone from the line of David, a Christ, to rule in peace forever. And in case you didn't catch all of the things that were in bold or a different color, uh, that's what's happening in Luke 2. Is this is actually coming to bear. The word peace here uh, in Isaiah is the Hebrew word shalom. And shalom is more than the absence of conflict. Shalom, the idea of peace, carries the idea of restoring broken things back to wholeness. So, let's say that I get mad at my wife, Ashton, and in my anger, I take her favorite coffee mug, and I take a hammer, and I take safety goggles, because safety first, and I take the mug, and I take the hammer, and I bash the mug to pieces in my anger. Shalom would say that peace is not found just because I stop hitting the mug and put the hammer in the toolbox and go get a latte from thou mayest and feel better inside because we're done fighting. True shalom would be found if I magically learned the Japanese art of kintsugi and restored the mug to something beautiful. And actually, shalom would say there's probably some relational brokenness that needs restored with Ashton there too, right? See, this idea of shalom sees the world as complex. Everyone said amen, right? Whenever any part of our world is out of whack, true shalom is found by putting it back in whack, if I could say it that way. Why is this important? 
a lot of strange things are being done in the name of peace today. Have you noticed that? We think peace will be found when we get rid of illegal immigrants, or we think peace will be found when we welcome all illegal immigrants, or we think peace will be found when we finally impeach our president, or we think peace will be found if everyone just stopped attacking our president and let him do his job, or when abortion ends, or when homelessness ends, or when LGBT people are seen as people. And we could go on. But what's common in all of these things is that peace is accomplished through human hands, And the cause of our peacelessness is all out there with the enemy. And to be sure, there is so much peacelessness out there. And so many of the things that that I named are important problems. But what if? What if the biggest thing keeping us from peace today, from shalom, is that we are numb to our brokenness in here? That we're numb to our brokenness in here. Friends, this Prince of Shalom, this Jesus, is in the business of taking broken things and restoring them. He's in the business of taking broken people and making them whole. This is what causes the Apostle Paul to say in Romans that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. That he has made our broken relationship with God whole. And I would suggest that the more we think the main cause of peacelessness is out there, the more peace will continue to evade us in this life. We have to deal with the inside stuff first. So let me ask you, this Christmas season, what in your life needs restored? What is broken, what is incomplete, what is peaceless that needs to be brought to wholeness? Whatever it is that just came to mind, maybe it was a number of things. Hold on to that, maybe write it down. We're going to return to it later. So, so getting down the road, we have to see peace as restoration, and that gets us closer to discovering peace in our anxious world, but there's more to the story. We also need to see that peace is not just restoration, but that peace is a person. Peace is a person. Remember the good news that the angels celebrate in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the content of the good news. And this good news then is about a person. But, but not just any person. See, see, some of these titles used for Jesus, are, we have, we've become pretty familiar with them. We can kind of gloss over them. These words Savior and Lord so far have only been used to refer to Yahweh, the God of Israel. And don't forget that Christ isn't Jesus' last name. It's a title that means he's the Messiah. So the heavenly song is so ecstatic because they see the big picture. That at this very moment, God is making himself human. The divine is taking on flesh. Fully God, fully human. Here's what this means. God is becoming our peace. God is becoming our peace. And this is, this is why the incarnation of Jesus is so important for us. Because it means that God knows our peacelessness. God knows our peacelessness. This is another thing that we can tend to, to, to gloss over in our familiarity. Is that, remember, Mary and Joseph are forced to go to Bethlehem. 
This isn't a vacation. It's not a destination birth, if that's a thing. Um, it, it, it's, it's more like the chaos of the McAllister family at home alone, trying to get out of the house. The chaos that many of us experience trying to get out of the house and leave to travel for Christmas. I can, I can just picture uh, Mary like rushing out the door and being like, oh my gosh, we forgot Jesus. Where's Jesus? I know I put him somewhere oh, right, I haven't given birth to him yet, right? Like the keys are still in my pocket. It's that, that kind of chaos. And it was a trip that robbed them of their money. It removed them from their friends and family. It exposed them during the most vulnerable time of their lives. And then when they finally get to town, uh, her water breaks. Like, great, that's just great. There's no hospitals nearby. There's no friends to help. There's no room in the inn. There's no peace for this family. So, so they end up in a barn, probably a musty old cave. Uh, there's poop everywhere. There's animals everywhere. They're freaking out. And then after the screams and the blood and the pain and the Son of God wailing, they wrap him in rags and put him in an animal's food dish. Like, like whoever wrote Silent Night had no idea what was happening. Like, I don't know what he was thinking. Friends, our God knows what it's like to live in this peaceless mess. And not just up here, no, like theoretically, but he experienced it. Do you see the difference between those two? Like, let's just say, since we're on the topic, that I became an expert in labor and delivery. And I read all there was to read and uh, went to medical school, and I became the foremost expert in this room on what it's like to have a baby. Don't look at me like that. It could happen. Uh, but, but, but if I said to any woman in this room when they're in labor, I know exactly what you're going through. You would punch me in the face. And you should. But we have a God who actually knows what it's like to live in our anxious world. We see it from day one. He knows what it's like to have parents who disappoint him to have siblings who irritate him, what it's like to go through puberty. You're like, oh, where's that in the Bible? I want to find that story. Uh, He experienced the loss of his earthly dad, life with a single mom, the struggle to make ends meet. And as we continue to study Luke in 2020, we'll see that he knows what it's like to be abandoned by his friends, accused by the people he came to help, misunderstood, betrayed, rejected, He knows what abuse feels like. Loneliness, exhaustion, disappointment, grief, anger, sorrow, loss, temptation. Jesus even knows what it's like when the Father says no to his prayers. He knows excruciating pain and even what it's like to face death and to die. And let's be honest. When you're hurting... You don't want good sentiments, warm feelings. You want someone sitting by your side who can say with tears in their eyes, I know how bad it hurts right now. I've been there, and it's awful. But I'm with you, and it will not always feel this way. This is our God. So later, in the Gospel of John, Jesus invites his disciples to have peace in him. Peace in him. Because peace is a person. The Christian vision is life with Jesus in peace in his presence. But this is hard for us. 
This is hard for us because our tendency when we feel peaceless is to do everything we can with our own human hands to continue the human project of world peace. Which, which usually means either getting rid of all the stuff that's causing us strife or just avoiding our pain altogether. It's usually what that comes down to. But what if? What if the true way to find peace is a greater power? The presence of Jesus, a person alongside us in his project of shalom. I'm going to ask us a question, and this is an easy question to just skip over, so I want you to take it seriously. If you don't have peace this Christmas season, are you trying to find peace without the presence of the person who embodies it? Are you regularly seeking the one who knows our peacelessness and has the power to bring peace in the midst of it? Or is your peacelessness causing you to to turn away from him? Peace is a person. Peace is restorative. This is what the angels rejoice at. And coming to know this kind of peace helps us get closer to finding shalom in our anxious world. But for many of us, If we're honest, the reality on the ground still protests, doesn't it? Like, okay, great, but what does that fix? I still don't feel peace. Me too. I know. In my life, I've been able to personally experience this promised peace on many occasions, but often I still feel so restless. And for those of us who feel this way, here's what we have to remember. Peace is in progress. Peace is in progress. The angels rejoice because peace has finally arrived, but it hasn't fully arrived. It's finally arrived, but it hasn't fully arrived. Peace is breaking in through Jesus, but the endless peace promised in Isaiah, where everything will be restored to Jesus, isn't here yet. The standard operating procedure of the world right now is not shalom. I think we could all probably agree on that. Here's how uh, Anglican priest and, and author Fleming Rutledge describes this reality. She says, The world's transforming peace that the angel declared to the shepherds is only found in bits and fragments now. Its eternal fulfillment is to be found only in the future of God. In Advent, we are not looking backward sentimentally to a baby. We are looking forward to the only one in whom the promise of peace will someday be fulfilled. And get this. Trusting in that promise, we can do things we thought we could not do. We can do things we thought we could not do. In this season of Advent, we long for the world to come. Out of the depths of our peacelessness, we cry out to God to come to bring his kingdom fully. And we get glimpses of shalom, and and when we get those glimpses, we never want it to end. And in that longing, we can take courage in the fact that Jesus is coming again. Peace is in progress. This is why in the song we looked at last week from Zechariah, he calls it the way of peace. Because that's just what it is. It's a pathway. It's a journey. The deeper you go in the way of Jesus, the deeper you'll be able to know his true peace. 
Now, I have a hard time with this uh, because, uh, for example, every time I play basketball, if I jumped out on the court with the men's basketball crew tonight, uh, I get frustrated immediately because I want all the skills of LeBron James and Stephen Curry, like, in my body right now. I don't want to take the time to train to have a good three-point shot. I just want to naturally be an all-star basketball player. Any of you feel this with, with things in your life you try to do? So many of us look at the promises of God like this, and I do too. Uh, other, someone else has put it that, that, that we look at the story of Luke 2 as a feature film uh, rather than just the trailer. We want the whole thing now. And if we can't have the full endless peace now, we think, why bother with it at all? But do you see the problem with that? See, this is what Jesus wants to do. Jesus doesn't want to drop peace on our head like we're sitting around waiting for peace to come and he like drops it like a water balloon and it explodes over us and we're like, yes, peace, like we got peace. That's not the vision really that Jesus has. That might happen sometimes. But what Jesus wants to do is he wants to slowly make us into people of peace. Over time, he wants to train you, he wants to train me to be the kind of person for whom peace is the default setting of your heart. He wants to train us to become people of peace. Because peace is in progress. And with this in mind, uh, to finish this morning, to send us from this place, I actually want to send us uh, with a practice, with something to do this week. Because a lot of times we can hear these things said, we can hear all these things about peace, but you're like, all right, now how do I go and move toward peace in my life? So we're going to do something hopefully together this week uh, and, and, and pursue and move toward peace together. So what I want you to do is I want you to think back to your answer to our first question. What is broken, incomplete, and peaceless in your life that needs restored this Christmas? Think about that. Call that to mind. Whatever your answer is, we're going to practice together taking our peacelessness to the person of Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. Look at your week this week and find a 15-minute time window. Uh, And in that 15 minutes, get alone and get quiet. No weird indie music, just, just silence and you and Jesus. And, and as you're there, uh, set a timer on your phone or on a watch or something for five minutes. Uh, set your phone across the room and take that five minutes to talk with Jesus about whatever that situation is. Just talk with Jesus. For some of you, it might be helpful to have a pen and paper to write things down to journal. But take that time, just five minutes, talk with Jesus about whatever it is. And when the timer goes off, uh, set it for another five minutes. And in this time, just sit in the quiet and listen in silence. Listen to the Holy Spirit. And if you hear something, if you feel a nudge from the Holy Spirit, just write it down, maybe. But just sit in the quiet and listen. When the timer goes off, those of you who graduated elementary math know that we have five more minutes left in our 15-minute time window. And in that five minutes, ask Jesus, what is one step I can take to find peace and wholeness in this situation? And there are all kinds of things he might say. What is one step I can take to find peace and wholeness in this situation? What do you want to do 
in this situation, in my life, to bring shalom. And here's the catch. Whatever that is, take that step. Move down the way of peace. And remember, it might take time, right? It might take time. You might have to do this over and over and over again before you feel clear about it. But what you're doing in that process is that you are cultivating this relationship with Jesus where you are coming to him in your peacelessness and finding peace in him. It might take time. Peace is in progress. You, I, we are in progress. But as this, we do this, we have the hope, we join with millions of Christians around the world looking forward and longing for Jesus to come again and to flood the world with his presence and peace. Let's pray. Father God, I'm so grateful that you know my peacelessness. God, I pray that all of the things that are swirling around in our minds right now would find rest in you. That you would bring wholeness, bring restoration through the power of your spirit in our lives. That we might know that we can experience peace now, even as we look forward to a more full peace then. God, I pray for those who are in this room who might not even know uh, the, the peace that we have through God uh, or with God through Jesus. God, I pray that you would help any of us who are there to, to, to lay down our will, to trust in you, to believe, and so be restored. We pray that we be filled with your peace as we leave this place in the name of Jesus and by his spirit. Amen.